0: In 2021, Talk About It Outdoors partnered with an industry leading brand that has stamped its name on the outdoor industry. Cruiser Saddles in itself stands on perfection, and with every climb we make, we elevate ourselves above the rest. In addition to a support to our hunting journey, the men and women behind Cruiser believe in the same principles of life as us faith, family, and the blessings of being better as they go in every sit. If your desire to pursue your passions one step ahead of the rest, go ahead and get in the best. Check them out on all the socials or head over to their website at www.cruiser.com. That's C-R-U-Z-R.com. And tell them to the Talk About It Outdoors boys and Chasing Weekends sent you their way. The journey of life has a unique way of being able to create tried and true friendships as we go. In forming those relationships, oftentimes good things come to follow. Talk About It Outdoors is proudly supported by Cal Hardy, the Arrowhead Land Company. Cal is the leading broker over Georgia and is happy to assist you with finding the place where you can call home. With vast knowledge and an understanding of the ever-evolving real estate market and a unique old-school approach to everything he does. He exemplifies what it means to treat others like you'd want to be treated. Don't settle for being just another number in a phone. Choose Cal Hardy for all your land, home, and commercial real estate needs and become a part of his family. We sure are blessed to have him as a part of ours. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, or give him a call at 770-296-2163. Step back to the times when a feed store was more than just that, and the people inside smiled with friendly faces and provided a place for a talk on life as well as all your essential farm, livestock, and pet needs. Cherokee Feed Seed, located in Ball Ground, Georgia, with an additional location in Gainesville, are the hometown supplier of all your cattle, equine, and pet needs with the added addition of being able to keep your deer herd healthy with protein and minerals. They also carry an assortment of hunting blinds and gear, and you can rest easy knowing the people that support local ball clubs and children's sports are who your hard-earned money is going to. The people here greet you with a handshake and a smile, and Cherokee Feed and Seed give more than just a product. They give you a welcome that will make you return time and time again. Stop in next time you're in the area and tell them you're part of the Talk About It Outdoors family. A few years back, when an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Building the foundation of your life starts at the base, and the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete and Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first.
1: Ready, Nick? Let's do it.
0: everybody talk about it outdoors live in the wilson studio once again nicholas alex jason lewis and cody watson all in-house and ready to kick this one up as hard as we can go hey we're traveling north of the border we're headed way up to canada to talk to a man i promise you when you get done you're gonna want to look up this dude has done it all he's seen it all he might not have hunted them easters nick but i promise you he's probably killed things you and i will never see again y'all come and sit with us a while Nicholas, when you first sent me over this gentleman's name and said, what would you think about doing a show with him? I got to be honest with you. I didn't remember who he was until I got online and got to looking at it. I'm like, well, I've seen him on the Outdoor Channel doing stuff that I promise you I'll probably never get the opportunity to do. So good to be back with you again, old buddy, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Good to be here, man. What about breaking this up during turkey season? Oh, I know. I I was expecting a turkey guy. I said, Greg McHale, that's got to be a turkey guy that I've never even heard of. And believe you me, he's far from a turkey guy, but he's putting the hammer on anything out there. So a world-class traveler, an amazing adventurer, a guy that's laid down animals and traveled across the country and done things in the world that I promise you I'll never get the opportunity to do. And I'm sure we're going to say that 500 more times. But Greg, welcome to Talk About It Outdoors, and we appreciate you being here so much
2: yeah thanks guys i really appreciate you having me and yeah you guys down there in georgia and me way up here in the yukon um we're it's literally still snowing today so to be able to talk to a bunch of southern boys is uh is actually really really good opportunity for me to kind of take in some of your heat and and enjoy the day here thanks guys for having me
0: i think it's what 85 degrees here today? i got sh- i got shorts on so yeah yeah you know, flip-flops shorts swimming pools are open and I, and, I, and right off the rip, if you don't know who Greg is, he uh, has a show. It's called The Wild Yukon. Am I, am I saying that right, Greg? Yep. So it's The Wild Yukon. It airs on the Outdoor Channel. Um, and you, you can find him online on YouTube. But the one thing that I keep seeing every time I see your name come up is the endurance racing that you do. And I, I believe you and your wife both are world-class endurance racers from what I've read. And that's got to make... For the ultimate athlete when it comes to the outdoors i it's got to be the thing that puts you at the t- upper echelon because most of us old boys are going to work monday through friday and then jumping in a truck and going <laughs> chasing games so you're probably at the uh at the top peak of performance when it comes to doing this stuff so you know first and foremost we want to hear who you are and where you're from and kind of give a little backstory
2: yeah no thanks thanks guys i really appreciate the uh the introduction and um yeah, well, I, Greg McHale is my name. And yep, the television show is called Greg McHale's Wild Yukon. That's kind of where it all started um, for me. And, you know, certainly the, the production side of things. Um, I live up here in, in the Yukon. I've been here for, uh, I guess, 26 years or so. Straight away after university, my wife, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Denise, um, her and I packed up her the heck was it a Plymouth Sundance? Oh, wow. Uh, We, with a kayak, a canoe, all our outdoor climbing gear and outdoor gear. And we moved 6,000 kilometers away from, you know, Ontario, which is, uh, if you're from, you know, if anybody, from Canada believes that that's the, uh, the center of the universe. So, um, we had to leave the center of the universe to get away to, uh, <laughs> to get away to some wild places. And that's exactly what we did. And we made a home for ourselves here and a, and a life for ourselves and, um, never to never to really look back. It's, uh, it's a, it's a great place to live the Yukon right next to Alaska. And we've got some of the best big game hunting in the world. And that's kind of where I've found myself you know found home and found the place that uh the place and the things that i want to do and spend my time doing for kind of the rest of the rest of the days i think
0: well that's although
2: having said that i would love to be in 85 degrees temperature at the moment
0: (laughs) 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 you might say that till you walk around for a few hours outside trying to chase (laughs) chase birds or uh chase game in that temperature because we'll run this temperature all the way up to the beginning of our deer season uh, come the fall there it'll be 80 it'll be 90 degrees when we start our deer season in the fall so yeah
1: greg had uh, you cut your teeth prior to going to um, the yukon hunting
2: yeah so i um i kind of grew up in the i guess in the outdoors our idea of family holidays were pack up the car literally the car with a wall tent and as much gear as we could stuff into it and then drive 12 hours north, um, you know, four hours on logging roads into the bush and set up a wall tent on a lake that, you know, is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And that would be our family holiday. So it kind of started that way. Um, Then it was, you know, my dad would, I used to get a pile of fishing holidays from school as a kid because my dad was always, you know, he tended to take off a few days during the week, maybe. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, allow me to tag along every now and again. So, you know, just fishing was really a big part of, uh, my childhood. Um, I don't do a lot of it now because I just spend all my time hunting, but yeah, it was an, always an outdoor kind of lifestyle. We didn't have a, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had, uh, We had some camping gear, and it was uh, it made for a great childhood. So that's where it all started for me, and I started like canoe tripping, you know, in Ontario. It's kind of where I got the really the outdoor adventure bug, Um, just backpacking, canoe tripping, and which led me to uh, you know post university going. We need we need more wilderness, and you know that's uh, that's kind of where it where it led, and now it's funny because. My parents, you know, about eight years ago, um, they followed, uh, they kind of followed my wife and I out here for, you know, they're retired and it was like, wow, why don't we go to the Yukon go hunting? And so it was, it's kind of a, a neat thing to have my, my parents living out here now where, you know, they grew up and they lived their whole life in Ontario and they spend, you know, and now I get to spend a lot of time with my dad in the mountains and as much time as, you know, as I can. And it's just uh it's kind of a, a family now that the Yukon is not just my home but my parents' home too.
1: I will say this about one of the videos on YouTube that he has he he's got a great video of him and his dad and his son going up and and they i think they take the um plane out there and land and go way back up in the country and I mean just that's good that you can still share those moments with your dad and now your son
2: yeah, it's a pretty special special time to be able that was one of my one of my main goals was to be able to you know hopefully someday my son got old enough to be able to hunt sheep with my dad and it was uh so we were able to accomplish that there a couple years ago and then again last year so my dad's 75 I guess to be 76 now so it's uh yeah it's 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 a challenge <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh it's been so amazing for all of us to experience it yeah
0: yeah i forgot to mention that and that he's a pilot as well a bushcraft pilot so yep. you, you've got nerves of steel in, in about all that you do greg and when it comes to chasing these animals across the the yukon what's the one that still gets you you know what's the i know for a lot of people in the south that may be turkeys or deer what's the what's the one that gets your your you know fire lit up more than anything
2: yeah it's um it's without a doubt it's sheep hunting it's you know getting after doll and stone sheep in the mountains you know backpack hunting doing the research like it's it's funny all of us hunters anyone that's serious about hunting you know we all go about very similar processes to be able to get you know to to get whatever game we're after um and you guys down south, you obviously pour over maps and you're looking at plots of land and trying to figure out types of fields and where the game is going to be, where the white whitetail are going to be moving. You know, we're, and I'm doing the exact same thing here, but it's on a bit of a different scale because I have like, well, I just have the whole Yukon to, to be able to do it in. But still I'm pouring over maps absolutely. and I'm looking at where are the, where are the sheep going to be, where are the places that nobody else is going to get to, you know, how many miles am I going to have to hike to get to certain blocks? And it's, you know, we're all doing the same thing, which is really cool about hunting. But, uh, yeah, in the Yukon for me, it's absolutely doll sheep hunting because, uh, I spend, you know, hours and hours looking at maps trying to figure out, you know, where the nearest lake to land on a certain mountain block, or, you know, can I land, you know, super Cub? can I get it up high and land in a flat spot in the mountains and the scouting by plane that you have to do. So that's what really gets me, um, gets me going. It's the physical effort that it takes to, to really hunt sheep proficiently. Um, you have to be, you can't have in the mountains, fellas, you just can't have a chink in the armor if you really want to be successful. You need to have all of the things that it takes to, you know, give yourself the best opportunity at taking an animal that a lot of people consider is, you know, the top, the top echelon. It's like it's the cream of the crop, sheep hunting, um, and because it's physically demanding, and I think that that's what separates it from all other game in the Yukon is just the amount of effort that you got to put forward to be able to get one. And when you, when you do and you put all of the pieces of the puzzle together and, you know, you take a good mature Ram, there's, it's a pretty special moment. Um, And it's one that, you know, I've taken, I don't really know the number 20 some myself, but, but every one of them, every one of them is an accomplishment. And I might not remember the number, but I can tell you, you know, from a picture, the story of that sheep hunt, right? And when you, when you get one of them under your belt or you get an opportunity to, to, even an opportunity to go on a sheep hunt and it's taxing physically, mentally, you and you come home, you're a bit of a different beast because you know what it took to either get that animal or you didn't get it. But you're changed. And often it's you're you've got the sheep hunting bug, and you know, you're you know you're kind of screwed because <laughs> it ruins because you on everything there's no, else. There's no turning back. So yeah, sorry, that's a long-winded answer of sheep is number one. Absolutely. Number two is moose hunting. And for those of you who like, you know, deer hunting. Man, if you ever get an opportunity to hunt moose, you got to get on it because it's such a blast.
3: Greg, going back to the moose hunting, I've always heard the mental perseverance of being on that mountain and putting your face in the elements every single day and going for days on end. That's one of the most taxing. You can be as physically fit as any man on the planet, but if you don't have the mental perseverance, it can turn you around in a heartbeat and take you off that mountain. Is that
2: accurate? Well, that's, yeah, absolutely. That's accurate, but that goes for anything in life, right? That's a good point. Like if you're not mentally strong, you know, to, let me break it down. If you aren't mentally strong to be a father and all of a sudden you got a baby gone the way, well, you, you know, now you're in a world of hurt here, right? So it's the mental, the mental side of everything is, is hugely important. Now, when it comes to sitting out in the elements and, um yeah, on the moose hunt, it's generally speaking, they're not as physically, you know, physically demanding. That's good. But sit out there, you know, before the sun comes up, calling moose some and it depends on what kind of a hunt you're doing, whether it's horseback or whether it's on a lake or a river, or, um w- you know, high up in the mountains. It's just that day-to-day grind that it's going to take to sit behind the glass, call all day and just pound it out. Yeah. Right? you guys find that I'm sure same thing sitting in sitting in a tree stand for like that to me is that's a mental game yeah like Mm -hmm. sitting in a tree stand waiting for an animal you know not moving being you know completely still and quiet waiting for that deer of a lifetime to walk within range whether you're bow hunting or you're rifle hunting whatever it is like that's a mental taxing game so you know there's they're just, they're just different, um, just different kind of terrain. But at the same time, I find, uh, i find tree stand hunting to be super challenging.
0: Have you ever done it
2: much? I've not done it much. I did it as a, as a kid. And, um, I, poof, I'll bet you I can count on one hand, the amount of times that I didn't climb out of that tree stand and start, you know, walking the ground with my bow in my hand. So, (laughs) sounds like all of us we're hitting the ground running. (laughs) Maybe it's just me that it's not the you know it's just the personality is not one that is conducive to that. But I have great respect for guys that can you know that can be dedicated enough to that tree stand or that plot of land or doing all of the preparation that uh, you guys out east do to try to get your best crack at at an animal. Um, I don't envy you. I don't necessarily (laughs) want to do it, but I have great respect for those of you who do do it and are successful at it.
1: Let me ask you this, Greg, can you run us through for the listeners? Like what the preparation may be for a moose hunt and a sheep hunt, like how you're training yourself or what you're packing in there, taking in there.
2: Yeah. Um, well the training, the training for me is it's, It's all about it's all about sheep hunting. So I just trained for sheep hunting and then everything else after that is just easy. Right. Um, Good
0: good idea. (laughs) Go big or go home. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
2: (laughs) So I, you know, I train all year round so that when sheep hunting season is here, um, there's just there's just zero deviation. It's just go time and I know that I can go for months on end, day after day and just grind it out in the elements and I know that if I see a ram that I want to kill the the ram is done it's done because I will I will not stop until I track it down and it could run away over over two mountains but generally speaking they don't run away like 10 miles so I'm I know that I can just track it down and put in the kind of do the work that it takes to be able to look under every rock and every, you know, drainage and every mountain. And that just comes from, um, really adventure racing, I guess would be the foundation that, that built, um, the, built the machine to be able to do that day after day after day. And that, you know, that kind of the sport that I used to do, um, really lends itself really well to mountain hunting and backpack mountain hunting in particular.
1: So when you're going after those sheep, tell us what, once you land, if you're driving the plane or flying the plane in there somewhere, or you're driving your, I guess you call it the six wheel four wheeler. Once you stop that vehicle or engine, how far are you going from that point to get to those sheep?
2: Yeah, it, it's very dependent, um, because it really depends on how, what style of hunt that I want to do. Um, like if it's with my dad and my son, I'm trying to get that airplane as close as I possibly can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just to, just to obviously help my dad and allow him to be able to hunt day after day after day and try to, you know, try to keep the, the pounding to a minimum, let's say. Um, my son's at an age where, uh, I don't have to worry about him anymore. He's nine and, uh, he can take care of himself. Uh, it's really... <laughs> I
0: was so, whoa, I was thinking you're gonna say 18 and he's nine doing this. So, awesome.
2: well, I mean, I don't need to, in that, I don't need to worry about his physical ability and, um, like often, like last year he was literally helping me pack my father's gear. So he's, uh, he's at, he's a bit of a little machine. Uh, and he's, he's at a place where, uh, yeah, it's, it's just fantastic to be able to hunt with him. But, um, I guess to get back kind of to, to your question, I think that that the, you know, the adventure racing really helped me physically, um, be ready for, for sheep hunting. And, you know, once we get that, that meant mindset and that mentality of going for long distances and going for long periods of time, um, then it makes, you know, you just break it down and it makes your days easier. Now, that really wasn't the, you know. Getting back to your question, sorry. What was your question again?
0: I think he was generally asking how far it is from you traveling from, I guess, base camp. You, you, in a lot right. of your videos, you I'm seen, trying to,
1: I'm trying to paint the best picture because you you think when we hunt in Georgia, we may go a couple hundred yards and that's it. We don't hike in there. We don't camp. We don't set up a tent and stay for weeks on end. So that's I'm trying to paint the yeah. best picture for our listeners.
2: Okay, so. I try to get, depending on the style of hunt that I want to do. Um, Here's a, here's an example of the hunt that, that actually season one, which is on YouTube, which you can check it out, is one of the first sheep hunts that, that I did. One of my goals was always to leave my house and go and kill a ram um, by my own physical power. So no, no cars, no trucks, no airplanes, no nothing. So in adventure racing style, Um, I have, uh, I brought my, basically I left the house with a canoe or sorry, a kayak on a, on a little trailer. So I ran with the kayak on this trailer down to, down to the lake. Um, I put my kayak in and, uh, paddled, I think it was probably around 30 miles. (laughs) And, and then I got out of the, out of the lake or off the water and then started hiking, and I hiked another seventy k. So I don't know—is that around fifty miles? Good gosh! I, I, no think, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, sounds good. It's a long way. It's a long way. way. It's it's a long way. way. <laughs> so up through the, you know, up and over different mountain ranges, and then into uh, into this, you know, beautiful area where I knew that there was sh- good sheep. Um, and then we ended up taking taking a ram. Now I did have some. Um, some aircraft support that dropped pack raft to me so that uh, once we were done, we pack rafted, pack rafted out of the, out of the mountains. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the style that I really love. Um, Now the problem with that style is that 12 days of, you know, of hunt it's how do you boil that down into 22 minutes? You know, it's, um, or even, even 44 minutes. So it's been, that's been the biggest challenge is it's not the, you know, the hunting that way, because that's just what I love to do, because that's kind of ad- adventure racing style hunting that I call it. And, but yeah, really having your audience or my audience be able to understand what that actually took to do that that has been uh that has been one of the bigger challenges when it comes to producing television show
0: yeah now you've got a cameraman with you during that correct yep
2: yeah, so i have a cameraman and a photographer so there's three of us um now i you know depending on what we're doing and try to get the the shots a lot of the stuff is just us guys just together doing it but in ones in a, in that particular episode um, it was a little bit more challenging for them to be able to get video because the lake was really you know the, the lake was really blowing up and I was you know kayaking and there's no way that they could have captured that without a boat right. so they followed me um, on the first section in the boat and and then basically we went uh, we went on foot from there so but the two guys that I, that I work with, um, you know, we've started this together, and we've been uh, we've been right from the very start. Dave does all the camera work or the videography work, and Carl he does all the photography work. And the three of us have been together for you know almost since day one. So it's been uh, it's been a good journey.
0: I think that's where I was going with it. How long were your camera guys with you, and how do you go about the process to select them? Because a lot of whitetail hunters, and we see it in the industry they go through camera guys like you know cordwood i mean they they find a guy and they use him for a season your benefit in this is finding guys that'll stay with you for the long run because they have to be as physically fit as you are in order to to maintain this goal that you've got in mind to to do it all on foot and that adventure racing style
2: yeah i would say that uh dave and carl are probably the two you know um two of the fittest camera guys out there. Uh there's no and yeah, but and we've done it since, like I said, we've done it since day That's one good. together. So having that continuity and knowing each other so well um really helps with the team and like like there is no whining. There is there is just there is there is very few we have very few issues in the field because we've been doing it together for so long. We're like this, we're like a team. And I would like to say that we're well-oiled, but certainly there are, it's not always that way. Right. Right. When uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's going to be, there's going to be issues, but um, generally speaking, we're all on the exact same page and we know what the goal is and everybody trains all year round to be, uh, to be the best that they can be come, come game time. And, yeah, we're we're all fighting in this for the same same goal and pushing in the same direction, and that's what makes a good team. And I couldn't be more uh, more happy to have you know spend the time in the mountains with the guys that I do. Could you imagine leaving home
0: and walking? So basically, what he said, you're walking from home to where we're in the North Georgia Mountains. So you're walking to Atlanta. Then you're getting in a boat and you're paddling to North Georgia, Gainesville or something, through Lake Lanier. And then you're getting out and you're going into Cahutta and hunting or something. I mean, that's basically the picture for everyone that's listening. You you just describe the journey to go and hunt something that is the most physically demanding thing on earth to try to go and chase. So, for everyone listening, if you don't know the the distance that he's traveling, go look it up and watch that season one video, and you'll you'll see that distance as it goes through. Now, as you're going through this story, I want to know who, because I know you've you've been approached by celebrities or other hunters out there. Who's the who's the guy out there that's challenged you challenged you the most, or came and went on a hunt with you? Is there anyone out there, a Cameron Haynes or a you know one of those guys? That is there one that's came and hunted with you and I don't know, tried to tried it out.
2: Yeah, no, um, I. I don't have a lot of people that are, uh, that are (laughs) (laughs) well, to be, to be quite honest, I haven't had anybody that has said, Hey, Mikhail, let's, uh, take me on one of these, uh, one of these real (laughs) sheep hunting adventures. There's, there's nobody that's asked for it. Wow, that is that is impressive, and that means
0: because I mean you got guys that are on stateside. That Did you not just hear what he state? said? I know, I know.
2: <laughs>
4: Nobody's done it. Nobody's going so. that far. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it.
2: I've got a moose. No, home. it'd be it, it's it's yeah. I'd I'd love to get uh, get up here and push it uh, with somebody that um, honestly it'd be it'd be cool to have somebody that is a is a celebrity like. You know, just to see let's see let's see how it all shakes out. I, I love it. <laughs> challenge it, challenge throne, guys. Where you at, Cameron James, Joe
0: Rogan? Where y'all at? Y'all talk all that smack. Go try it out,
3: <laughs> Greg. I've got a moose hunt coming up this fall. That's been two years in the making, and thanks to coronavirus, it's just been pushed and pushed. And I feel so bad for the outfitters there and the Yukon that are dependent upon us Americans coming across the border and that's just been stopped, you know, put on halt for the last two years. So I can't tell you how excited I am to come up for the first time and uh, experience a true moose hunt in the Yukon this year.
2: Yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be an amazing experience for you. It's like I said, it's one of the, you know, one of the most favorite animals that I have to hunt um, the second. And it's just Moose hunting is so spectacular in the mountains and the colors and the time of year. And you're coming up during the rut. Uh, When is your hunt? What's the date? September
3: 20th through October 2nd.
2: Man, you're, you're like right in the thick of it. So by that time, the moose are going to be, the big bulls are going to be cowed up and you guys will be looking for, you know, the big dominant bull of the, in the herd. And, you know, if, uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, big bulls aren't cruising, you know, they can, I've seen, I've seen a really big bull, um, take a run at, uh, at a, you know, when I'm saying really big, I'm talking mid, like mid six sixties, mm-hmm. um, take a run at a bull that was about six, you know, about 60 inches and, um, just get get beat down so those big bulls will still have to you know move around and be looking but predominantly you're going to be looking for a bull that's probably got you know up there in Bonaplume, plume probably you know you five or six or possibly more cows with them and um yeah it's going to be a blast that time of year man you're gonna ec-
3: enjoy it it's exciting my dad's going with me it's a retirement trip for him he's going to fish ah. and it's going to be a good time so that's
2: awesome. Look, so you're going to be hunting off a lake then?
3: Correct, mostly off the lake, but there's horseback, and however we got to get to them, I'm, I want to be prepared and ready. So,
2: yeah, awesome.
3: Yeah, it should be good. Awesome. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what is one of your scariest moments you've had on one of your hunts?
2: Um, well, I've had, yeah, for sure the scariest. I've, I've done had a few close ones. Um, well, more than a few. <laughs> <laughs> but The one that really stands out is I was, um, coming off the mountain with, uh, we were goat hunting and we killed this, this goat up high up in the mountains, as they always generally speaking are. Um, and then we're packing it down in the evening. So I had, um, you know, I don't know what the weight of my pack would have been, but more than you want, uh more than you're agile with, let's put it that way. And, um, so I'm coming down this, this shale, not shale, but this rock shoot, there's a, there's a Creek there and it's super steep and the rocks were just not really stable. Not, I shouldn't say rocks more like boulders, right? Like, like kind of, I don't know, two feet was kind of the smallest and Sometimes you you know the steepness of the terrain and the size of the rocks really, if they're stable, it's great. It's almost like a staircase going up and down but there's just this was one of those times where the hair stood up in the back of my neck and and the stability of the rocks was just not good and I knew it but outside of this rock chute this drainage was alder and um, and like thick, thick, like you have to literally, you got to kind of crawl through it and, you know, just to walk, go even, it's hard to even go downhill in this stuff. And you're just holding on to branches and sliding down. And so the, uh, the lazy part of me said, oh no, just stay in this, stay on these rocks, even though they're not the most stable. Um, And that was, that was a mistake. There's only been a, and I'd never, I'd had that feeling before that I should get off of these rocks, but I, I've never really um, had this situation happen where I've had rocks slide out. But anyways, so I bet you not 30 seconds after I'm telling, you know, I'm thinking to myself in my head, like I should get off of here. This isn't, this isn't good. And the guys are behind me. Um, and I take uh, a step through this, two, these two boulders, huge boulders, in this kind of narrow um, little chute through there, and then all of a sudden the rocks start to move under my under my feet, and they and there was just I was in it. It's like an avalanche of rocks of boulders, and I'm I fall down onto my pack, um, onto my gun. <laughs> And now I'm sliding down this rock chute with these boulders all around me to the point where I had one boulder that was the size of a, of a pickup truck oh like God. on top and another huge boulder on, on the other side of me. And I'm just wedged in between the two of them and going down this chute. And then all of us, all of a sudden, this big massive boulder that's that's kind of that come over on top of me um it flips right over top and then just keeps tumbling down the mountain and then everything just kind of settled down and stopped so i i i was just like i don't even there's no time to think it was like there's no time to think you're gonna die there's no time to think that you know, what to do. It's just, I was just trying to stay on my feet, which was impossible with the weight of the pack. Right. And it's a good thing. I guess, I guess I didn't because I went underneath these two massive rocks and we all went down together. And then it somehow, I, I literally walked, walked out of it. Wow. And I did this, the self-check thinking like, something, the adrenaline was so high, but it did the self-check thinking something has got to be broken. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I was, and then by the time the guys got, got to me, they were like, um, holy, like, well, they, I went out of sight. So they didn't even know I, I was just gone. And I'm sure that they were thinking we're picking up body pieces at the end of this. And I came out, you know, out of that drainage and I, Almost literally didn't have a scratch on me.
0: Did you have your GoPro on at that time when you were sliding or
2: <laughs> no, I had uh we had nothing. It was just like wow. let's let's get off this mountain. <laughs> yeah, me. I guess you know, so at that time. The weight of the weight of that goat, and we were all kind of you know, it was it was a hard hunt and we were just kind of, okay, we're coming off the mountain. So
3: wow.
2: There was none of that. The guys did shoot a little bit of video. Um like afterward, where I kind of explained what uh, what happened, but that was definitely the closest the closest call I've ever had um, while on a while on a sheep or on a hunt, any hunt. And uh, I've had a few close ones, uh, mountaineering, and you know some aviation stuff. But uh, yeah, that was. I knew that after that day that uh, that something there's something else or something was looking after me or someone was looking after me because you do that again and you just don't live. Right. Like, so, um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty fortunate fellow to make it home to the family that night.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely blessed. And thanks for sharing that story with us. Cause
1: no, (laughs) no, no grizzly bear, um, encounters.
2: Oh yeah. Grizzly bear encounters, but, uh, there. So I had one, Um, I was out, I was out bull hunting and I was by myself. This was long before the the camera days and I was out hunting moose actually. So I was calling moose by this lake and I was walking down this game trail. I went across this uh, little Creek that was flowing and I came up out of the Creek and just for whatever reason, I kind of just was obviously, I was looking around and I would just stopped and I was, and I looked over to my right, and there's this mound, like a dirt mound with hair coming out of the top of the it. <laughs> so right away, I know, okay, this is this is a moose kill, and the moose, the, the bear had there's a bear in the area, and it buried this, killed the moose, and then buried it. Right. So now, so then I start looking. That's the whole process happens within second, or right? you know, a second, right? So bad scene, where's the bear? So I look beyond the mound, and there's this grizzly bear laying down sleeping. And it's bedded down square straight away from me. And all I can really see is it's great big melon on the other side of this moose. And so now I'm frozen And I'm going, what am I like thinking? What am I going to do here? So I've got my bow in my hand and I'm thinking, okay, I can try to get an arrow out or I can try to back out of here. Cause this is like, this bear is 23 yards. And the fact that I got that close to it without it waking up is absolutely bizarre that he didn't know that I was there long before, you know, I knew he was there. So, so now I'm sitting, now I'm standing there. My feet are like right beside each other. And I'm sure all you fellas bow hunt and you kind of know how hard it is to pull your bull back when you don't have uh, when your, your feet are right beside each other. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of facing, I'm facing in the wrong direction to be able to shoot it. Cause I would have had to turn around and kind of shoot over my shoulder without, if I wasn't going to move too much and this close to a big grizzly bear, there is no, there is no opportunity for any error. Mm-hmm. Like, cause you, I've got nothing. I've got a bowl with an arrow in my quiver. Okay. So I pull the arrow out and I knock it. And now I'm thinking is the best thing for me to try to shoot this thing in the, in its bed or, do I now that I've got an arrow knocked? I feel at least confident enough that okay, I've got some sort of protection, <laughs> <laughs> right. as limited as as this might be within this range. If that bear decides to to get up and get on you, um, so now this is the predator part, and my head goes. Well, I could try to back out of here, but then I would never. And then I would always probably kick my ass for not trying to take you know not trying to take this opportunity that has presented itself although I would never walk into this (laughs) (laughs) but so these are it seemed like I it felt to me like I had like 10 minutes to think about this which I didn't but um I get my arrow knocked and I'm looking at this bear and I can't take my eyes off it I know it's 23 yards um because I mean those were that was before rangefinder days, and you just, you know, when you practice that much, you just know your yardage, right? So, I knew what it was. I knew the moose was at 12 yards, and the moose was between it and I. So, I'm thinking, okay, if I pull back, can I get a clean shot of this bear in its bed? And I knew that I couldn't, like, I could see its chest rise and fall, but you know, above its head, but that was really a that's really all I had. And that's not a, you know, that's not the shot that you want to, you want to be taking. Um, So then I thought, okay, well, I can't take a shot the way my feet are right now. So I have to move. So I'm looking around at my feet, make sure I don't, uh, you know, I don't step on anything. I don't try, you know, wake this bear up. Um, I don't know if that was really the thought process, but now in retrospect, you know, that's kind of what I was going through. So I kind of pivot on my left foot, spin around with my foot in the air, and I step down into, into moss. Um, and under this moss was, you know, a, a branch that I didn't see because I, I just remember hearing the crack. And I, and maybe I't maybe I wasn't positioning my feet perfect enough because I didn't want to take my eyes off the bear but nonetheless i break a branch and it was like that that bear was up and took two jumps standing on top of the moose looking straight at me and and that, and that's 12 yards and he's looking straight at me so i'm being like like things are bad <laughs> <laughs> and so i pull back and he's standing with both of his both of his paws Straight on, both of his paws together, um, looking at me and huffing. And all I, if you can imagine the bear with two paws on top of the moose, his, what happened is his shoulder blades turned in. And so now he's exposed, like he's standing up there as big and as strong as, as he, like he's presenting the biggest possible target that he can. But at the same time, because he's puffing himself all up, like, because he doesn't know what I am. He all he thinks is somebody's trying to steal my moose, mm-hmm. right? And um, so he stands up on this, and I I had like milliseconds. I just pulled back and put put the put my uh, twenty yard pin underneath his chin, trying to you know get in, and I hammered him sh- you know straight in the shoulder,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and so I go to ground. Like I did, I just let go. I saw it hit, and I go to ground. And I'm pulling another arrow out of my quiver and kind of half cocking it, thinking that I, I can't put my release on it. I just got my fingers on the string <laughs> and I'm waiting for this bear to come, you know, on top of me. And then all of a sudden, this is back in uh, aluminum arrow days. And I hear tink, tink, tink. And the arrows are going through the bush. Oh, wow. and, and not, not so not far enough away. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and the bear runs runs up the hill and turns around and looks at me. And I I didn't run, run out of on there. It. I backed out of there. I have no shot. There's no no opportunity. Um I backed out of there and uh luckily I walked away from that one. Wow. Um I did go back. I, I went back the next day. Um, to make sure that, uh, that that bear wasn't, you know, wasn't dead or, or was. And I found my arrow and there was about, uh, only about three inches uh, had penetrated the bear and everything else was. Uh, so that bear, I knew that I hit him right square in the shoulder, in the shoulder blade as he turns his arms in. Um, and uh, yeah, so that bear got the better of me for sure. And good. Like he's still out there. I know that. Um, I haven't went back chasing him again. I wouldn't, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I wouldn't, I to, wouldn't have I, went back and chasing me either. <laughs> uh, but I did, I did have to, I had to make sure that he was alive or that, uh, that he wasn't. Um, so once I realized that that bear was fine, um, I left him and he had grabbed that moose and he had pulled it a hundred yards back into the bush further and reburied it.
0: So he wasn't hurt so, too bad.
2: Yeah, no, no, he wasn't. He wasn't hurt too bad, and I appreciate the fact that I got away from. Uh, I skated out of that uh, situation.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, Greg, we're going to go into our shooting you straight segment. It's a it's a listener submitted question that comes in to us, so we're going to drop that real quick. You'll hear a little music play, and then then we'll have our our listener question come in for the day. For.
1: This week's Shooting You Straight, brought to you by land specialist Cal Hardy with Whitetail Properties. If you're looking to buy or sell land in the northwest Georgia area, give our boy Cal a call. 770-296-2163. Day or night. All right, Nicholas. Um, Greg, what's the strangest thing that you've seen in the Yukon outside of a 12-yard grizzly bear?
2: (laughs) (laughs) The strangest thing I've seen in the Yukon. Um, wow. That's a pretty, that is, like, we're, I, I'm i assuming we're talking in the outdoors because you don't want to know the <laughs> <story>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, The strangest thing. That's a, that's a, that's a tough outdoor question um, because I've just spent so much time in the, in the mountains and nothing really, nothing really surprises me when it comes to nature and you know the the outdoors you ain't never had Um, that one
1: thing you're like that don't
2: belong there (laughs) okay well okay here it is i was i flew in hunting caribou one time and (laughs) and there was this in the yukon like the yukon has been outfitted for you know 100 years right and some of these places way back out there there's you know only where only outfitters and guides and stuff have ever been type situations maybe some prospectors back in the back in the early you know 1900s um, but so we land on this lake and we're hiking around this lake and there's no camps no cabins no nothing it's just seems like this remote lake and then all of a sudden there's this bench. So, and this bench was built out of, you know, um, log and log sawn in half. And I want to get the quote straight, but it was, and the bizarre thing about it, it was a super cub lake. So the only thing coming on and off this lake, it was so small was a super cub. So this bench had was, must've been, it looked like it had been like 80 years old. Um, And basically what the sign, the writing on carved into this bench said, I don't, um, not to be profane, but, um, so I, I won't, but it basically said this outfitter sucked. (laughs) (laughs) i'm effing out of here (laughs) so it was it was kind of funny to to think okay some guide took the time to carve this into a bench that he had built for you know for Time immemorial, who oh. <laughs> was going to come out here to see this? And I swear, I've got to be—you know—one of the only people um, that are alive that uh, that has probably seen this bench. Um, so that was probably the most bizarre thing that I've seen in the mountains. And it, our whole team—we just had, you know, we just had a, such a great chuckle about it and, <laughs> and, a, and a good laugh because I, I used to—I used to guide, and I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been left in the mountains for, for days on end, you know, waiting for waiting for an aircraft to come pick me up. And, you know, outfitters may have decided that no, we can just leave Mikhail out there for a little bit longer. It uh, he's not that important or whatever. So I kind of related that 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 scene from the bench to uh, to reality in, in a little, you know, a bit of a way. But it's it just we just found it so funny and we had a, it really uh, it was it was a good thing to come across in the mountains that you would never expect to.
0: Greg, as as you know, we're kind of moving through this thing here. The one thing that's kind of stuck in my mind that you mentioned earlier was mental preparation, and I think that everyone out there, whether it's dealing with the outdoors, uh, adventure racing, or just going to work or, or being a, a dad, as you mentioned, what's the mental Side and and how do you prepare yourself mentally for situations? I think that'd be a great piece of advice because you're a guy that spends so much of his time in mentally taxing situations. What's your go-to? What's the one thing that that resonates in your mind that keeps you keeps you mentally tough?
2: Um, Well, I think that there's there's a few there's a few tricks I think I guess that I've used over the years, and um, really one of the things is I concentrate. Um certainly um and I have to remind myself, just like everybody else, it doesn't, it's not like these things are just natural and you just that's it's your go-to. But I concentrate on when I'm training and I put a schedule together, say, um, whether it's advent, training for adventure racing or training for the hunt, and I say my I'm supposed to ruck with a whatever, 35-pound pack today it doesn't matter what is on my, is, is happening that day. I don't deviate from the plan. If it's snowing, you know, if it's minus, which is, this is kind of the worst scenario uh, for weather wise in the Yukon is like minus one or two um, wet rain, snow, whatever it is, wind, those are the kind of the days that, you know, you wake up, you look outside and you go, ah, I don't really want to do this. Um, but it's being dedicated to the plan. And when you, when you train in, or what I also do is some days I'll wait until it's the weather. I'll look at the weather and go, it's supposed to be shit tomorrow. And my long run is supposed to be two days from now. Well, I'm going to move it to tomorrow. So that I train in the worst possible scenarios so that when I'm up on the mountain and I've got, you know, the warm clothes on and I've got all the, you know, I've got a tent, I've got all these luxuries. Like when you train in advert, the, the worst situations, then there's nothing that's going to beat you down when you're actually getting out in the hunting world. Right. So adventure racing, the sport that I did, I don't want to sound like a dick here, but, um, the sport that I did at a professional level makes sheep hunting look like a walk in the park. So when it comes to sheep hunting, there is, there is nothing that is going to going to break the, break me down. It's, it's just not, I've been through, I've raced all over the world for, you know, five and six days, like thousand six hundred mile races nonstop with just a small backpack and your running shoes or your kayak or whatever it is, whatever discipline, your mountain bike, carrying your mountain bike over top of mountains in, in your bike shoes. Um, when you train and that's your sport, then, you know, hunting is just, it's actually pretty easy. The hard part is just kind of staying warm some days (laughs) sitting in the rocks. And that's the mental part, right? Where when you're moving for me, when I'm moving, life is really easy. It's, it kind of goes back to where my breakdown would be like in the whitetail stand, just sitting there for hours on end, not seeing anything and waiting for it to happen. That's why I have great admiration for all the people, the guys that can do it guys and gals, but for, for me, um, the hardest part is just sitting. You know, some days is just sitting behind the glass, in the rain and the snow. But usually, my go-to is I start laughing. The harder it is, the more I. It, it may not make sense though the way I'm putting it to most people, but the harder it is, almost the more I enjoy it.
3: Mm-hmm. You embrace makes, the pain. Yeah. Embrace the that pain. Makes total sense, actually. Yeah
2: because afterward those are the things you remember you don't you don't remember the the easy hunts like or they certainly aren't as they're not rewarding like some of the easiest hunts that i've that i've done i don't look back on them they might be even some of the biggest animals but they're just not as not as rewarding as that you know walk out your back door and go on a sheep hunt um you know my wife we like she, she's able to, she's a a tremendous athlete. Um, we used to race all over the world together as well. Um, but she got back hunting. Uh, we have two kids, so she hasn't hunted for almost 10 years. And so two years ago, we got, uh, an hour, a year and a half or whatever. We got an opportunity to get back out there again together. And we did the same thing. She wanted to, she wanted to track from, from home, and uh we did a you know just think as a 75k so a 50 mile run um into the mountains before we started to uh, to hunt so yeah those are the kind of things that really that really get me going and um i think just by virtue of the place that i live it kind of lends itself to that style of hunting uh more so than you know maybe georgia right yeah very very (laughs) quite so you could say that
0: one again and I think that putting yourself in those positions it's it's amazing for us to sit here and listen to someone who's experienced that stuff because I mean for the majority of our lives we've spent time in the south and and, you know in warm weather and if it gets a a half inch of snow or an inch of snow here our whole town shuts down and it's just different mindsets and to hear somebody that that To hear you say you embrace that struggle, I I mean, it's kind of awe-inspiring.
1: I hiked in four miles the other day in Idaho and killed a turkey, and I'm like, man, I went a long (laughs) way. So, that's awesome. You
3: got anything? No, I just appreciate the story, and, and, I mean, I can't even relate to some of that stuff, though, Greg, but it's you're living Well, you will next year. Yeah, or this year, yeah, getting close. This year? Yes, sir.
1: Are you prepped, Jason, for, like, the grizzly bear experience on being
3: on that water. I, I think, like Greg said, you have got to be prepared for anything. So, um, are you taking a sidearm? Nope. You, are they are they allowed? I think you can take a sidearm coming in, but no,
2: the, no, you can't.
3: Oh, you can't. Okay, okay. No. Yep. So just a long no. gun.
2: Oh wow. Yep. What the, are you What are you hunting with? Bow or rifle? Or what are you? I'm taking are you
3: my doing? bow and the rifle, Greg. So if, after the first after the third day or so, if we can't get it done with the bow, I'm switching over to the rifle yeah That's how awesome.
1: is the how is the tag drawing process up there is it fairly easy
2: um let's let's let me paint the picture here for you <laughs> i can get 11 big game tags for 120 dollars over the counter
4: wow
2: wow but you got to live so, in negative 20 degree let me weather make sure Nick. I've got, <laughs> let me make sure i've got that right um so i can get two black bears a grizzly bear um a sheep moose two caribou goat um wolf yeah that's that's just uh that comes along with just a big game tag um a light big game license bison hmm, what am i missing black, black bear elk that's elk a, yep I two see. black bears got it so wow. there's a bunch yeah <laughs> you ain't good and if you go to the yukon <laughs> yeah there's um there's definitely no buying meat from the store and uh in in my world
1: hey one other thing we were talking about earlier was um on some of your videos it says alaskan yukon
2: explain that so that'll probably be a moose hunt right okay um so and that's that's just by virtue it's uh so the moose the species of moose is the alaskan yukon moose So that'll probably be where that came from because I do all my hunting in the Yukon. Um, I've done a little bit in BC, but uh, I've never hunted over in Alaska.
1: Is there like a slam for goats or rams?
2: Yep. There's a, there's definitely a slam for sheep. Um, So we've got the doll sheep stone and then bighorn, Rocky mountain bighorn and the desert bighorn, right? So the two, probably the most, uh, most accessible, is the doll sheep and then you're, and then I don't know which, uh, yeah. Stone sheep after that, but I think bighorns are, or, uh, the desert bighorns are pretty tough to come by. Right. Is that something you're interested in doing? Um, you know what? Not really. I don't have this huge desire to, you know, to kill, uh, my slam. Um, part of the reason is I think because, I've, you know, living in the Yukon, I can go and hunt sheep every year and I can go hunt them in the wildest places. So to go and hunt a, to pay whatever, $80,000 to go and hunt a desert bighorn where you kind of drive up to the mountain and then, you know, you maybe walk a few miles or whatever it is, depending on your location, um, to, to kill it. And that's not, you know, I'm not trying to It's just, just not really something I'm too excited about. I just, I love hunting in the Yukon. I love putting in the hard miles. And, um, I think that if, if I was going to go somewhere, I would probably travel overseas to, you know, to somewhere for a sheep that would be a very similar style hunt to what I do. Um, not so much, you know, the kind of hunting that, that, uh, that it would be, you know, that they do for desert bighorns but um i'd like to go on one but not necessarily kill it myself i'd I'd go for the experience
1: understood greg um i know time is uh running out here but lastly what are you most thankful for family absolutely greg i want to thank you for um coming on this afternoon and taking the time out um we'd love to spin up with you after um season's over for you guys which i guess is what late october early november
2: yeah, late October we shut it down, and then um, then I kind of take a breather and try to find myself some heat. <laughs> <laughs> when, when does
1: hunting season start out there?
2: Um, really? Well, it's we have bear season on right now, but there's a really about a month. Is um, it about June fifteenth to yeah, month and a half, June fifteenth until August first? There's nothing to hunt in the Yukon. Otherwise, there's always some sort of you know big game animal that you can hunt. But generally speaking, August one almost everything opens up and shuts down October 31st. So that's kind of why we got three months to, to get after it and kind of get it, get our fill.
1: Well, best of luck, time. man. And be safe out there.
2: Thanks a lot, guys. Jason. I appreciate, uh, appreciate all of you. And um, good luck when you uh, good luck when you head up here. And uh, if, you know, if you're around, give me a shout. I'll, I know you'll be in town just to, if we can coordinate the days, Let, uh, give me a shout and we'll, uh, we'll grab a coffee or something.
3: Would love to do that, Greg. Thank you so much. Cody, you got anything?
0: No, just look forward to more adventures and watching what you put out this season. I bet it's going to be epic. Hard to wrap my mind around.
2: Thanks, Cody. Uh, if yeah, if you're, uh, I really appreciate you guys. I know your audience is, um, is a little bit different than, than ours, but I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of similarities between all of us hunters, whether, uh, you know your way up north where I am or down in Georgia where you guys are we're all kind of I think that we have very similar thoughts on you know being in the outdoors and sharing it with the people we like to share it with and friends and family and just kind of getting out and enjoying the outdoors so I really appreciate you guys having me on it's a great opportunity for me to uh to talk to you guys too as well so thanks a lot.
0: Well, Greg, that brings us down to our final spit of the night. And uh, speaking with you here, you know, you may chase adventures all over the world, but hearing you say that family means the most to you is definitely a relatable experience, whether you're in the Yukon or you're on the south side of the states. So um, embrace the pain. And and Greg McHale, you will be revered as a lifetime achiever of some of the most amazing accomplishments of any outdoorsman that we've ever spoken with. The adventure spirit, the no-quit attitude, and the thought process behind mentally preparing yourself is something any of us can take from you. Greg McHale is the front runner of the pack, and, then, buddy, let me tell you, if you desire to run with this old boy, you better pack a lunch. So, well, for everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for coming on and being with us tonight, and we want to remind everyone to smile as you go, but don't forget to mount the memories. <laughs> Building the foundation of your life starts at the base. And the stronger it is, the better. Talk About It Outdoors is proud of our strong partnership with United Concrete Paving and the foundation of support they provide. Whether your new home being built needs concrete work or that driveway you're tired of beating all the bearings from your pickup needs a paving, Michael and his team can provide any residential or commercial project support you might need from the ground up. If you're tired of tripping over that unsettled patio slab or a future shop build needs a smooth start, United Concrete and Paving can get you going when you need it most. Give them a call at 404-831-3036 and make sure you tell them them TAI boys are where you heard it first. A few years back, When an overbearing and overgrown backyard became an eyesore, I looked for a solution to resolve. LRS Land Services created a stunning and complete transformation turnkey at an affordable price with their mulching services. Not limited to mulching, LRS can provide turnkey grading and clearing, maintenance, right-of-way clearing, and even development for any and all forestry needs. With an innovative outlook on what is best for your land and a completely different approach than others, LRS can transform your overgrown eyesore into a beautiful landscape of your dreams. Give them a call at 404-889-1105 or check their work out on Facebook at LRS Land Services. Logan and his team are ready to make your land brand new again. Are you in need of a decluttering? barn or garage slap full of stuff you just don't need or is your construction site needing a dumpster give our buddy tony at georgia junk and dumpster rental a call with services ranging from junk removal to roll-offs georgia junk is here to help with any and all removal needs if it's time to get that parking spot back or the boat needs a place inside tony and his team can surely assist Servicing Cherokee, Cobb, Bartow, and surrounding counties, give them a call at 404-406-3501 or check them out on Facebook at Georgia Junk. Clean up the yard in short order with Georgia Junk.